Uh, if you have your Bibles, um, open up to go to First Peter. So we're going to be in Joshua here in a minute, but we're going to start somewhere else. So uh, we finished Joshua chapter four last week, uh, where they actually crossed the Jordan River and got into the Promised Land. Huh? You said first Peter. I did say First Peter. Yes. Um, so we talked about we spent a couple weeks talking about like the memorials that they set up and like putting down those like reminders for yourself in your life. We t- I talked about um, you know writing something down in your Bible, you know writing down a date or uh, writing down a decision that you made uh, in your Bible or in a journal or in the notes app on your phone or something like that. Um, you know if, if God answers a prayer, maybe you write that down. Uh, just to remind yourself because we have a like a natural tendency to forget those things when we're in the midst of um, you know when we're in the midst of a difficult situation we have a tendency to forget uh, that you know when when God did something in our life and so uh, it's it's important to write those things down to somehow memorialize them and to to remember them uh, in the times that we need them and so um, so the nation of Israel set up these stones they set up some stones in their camp. Uh, in Gilgal, and then we also looked at where Joshua set up stones uh, in the middle of the river, and um, the goal was that they would go back and that they would tell their children about it, and that it would be something that they would, um, you know, as a people, that they would remember and that they would, you know, rehearse and tell future generations, Uh, but we looked at then in the beginning of the book of Joshua, or not Joshua, in Judges, and uh, we saw how after Joshua and the leaders of Israel died, the next generation coming up, it said that they didn't even know God. Uh, nor any of the things that he did for them. And so uh, obviously they did not do what they were supposed to do. The point of those stones and the point of those uh, memorials was to go back and to revisit them and to talk about them and to use it as a, you know, an object lesson and as a reminder um, of what God had done. And they, they did not do that with their kids and their kids ended up not, uh, not following after the Lord and they, they fell into sin and uh, within one generation they were, they were uh, having a lot of problems. And so, um, so this, the the passage in Joshua four is really a um, a cautionary tale for us to not repeat uh, the things that Israel did. And so uh, there's a quote. I don't think I shared it last week, but um, it says that a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And so if you can learn from if you can learn from somebody else's mistakes, so you don't have to make the same mistake. Um, that's better than learn. I mean, it's good if you learn it from your, like your own mistakes. If you, if you do something and, uh, it doesn't work out and you learn from that and the next time you do it differently, um, to have a different outcome, obviously that's a good thing. You should do that. But if you can like see it in somebody else's life and see what happens to them and learn from their mistakes, that's even better because you don't have to go through it. And so, um, most of the time of the nation of Israel in the old Testament is like that. We can learn a lot from, from their mistakes. We can learn a lot from their successes. What, what were they doing that caused them to have such success? What were they doing that caused them to have failure? How can I uh, look at those things and how can I apply that in my life? And, uh, you know, by, by extension, how can I have success in my life? How can I avoid failure? Um, you know, look at, look at the nation of Israel and see, it, see what they did. Um, so there's a lot of parallels between them and, and us. And so, um, so that's what we talked about in Joshua 4. And uh, so they, at the end of that chapter, they, they finally, they crossed into the promised land. So they are, as of Joshua chapter five, they are in the promised land now. And uh, this is what they've kind of been building to for 
uh, for at least the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, but really since back in Genesis when God promised them this land. That's why we call it the promised land, uh, because God had promised them that they would have this land. And up until this point, they've never really had that land. Um, <clears throat> Abraham did have some land. Um, and so, they, you know, they've had kind of pieces of this along the way. But, but now, finally, they're entering into the promised land where uh, they're going to have this, this promise fulfilled that God gave them, you know, several hundred years before this. And, uh, and so they finally have made it. And uh, before we really get into that passage, um, I want you guys to think about, if you, have you ever made, and you don't have to share if you want to, you can, but uh, have you ever made like a commitment to do something, specifically like in the spiritual aspect, have you made a commitment to do something and then not followed through on that? And I think the first thing that came to my mind when I was kind of reading through this and preparing for this was, uh, you know, at, at camp. A lot of times at camp we make these uh, decisions. Now, obviously, if it's a decision for salvation and you get saved at camp, uh, you know, that's that's a decision you made and actually followed through on. But but maybe like at camp you get really excited about, uh, you know, hey, when I get back to school, uh, I'm going to tell, my, th- you know, this friend about what happened to me at camp or I'm going to share uh, this with somebody. I'm going to try and uh, share the gospel with a friend of mine. I'm, I'm really going to like make a commitment to start reading my Bible. Uh, I'm going to make a commitment to whatever, fill in the blank thing. Um, I think a lot of times at, at camp for you guys specifically, uh, as an adult for me, it's more like at maybe at a Bible conference or maybe more specifically at a vision conference. So we got our vision conference coming up in a few weeks and, uh, you know, we have speakers come in from all over the world and, and people are, you know, they're, they're talking to us about, uh, getting excited about missions and, and going on this trip or going on that trip or, um, you know, some of the things that they've been doing on their mission field and they challenge us to do, you know, things here where we are and, uh, so a lot of times when you get around like in a conference setting or a camp setting or something like that, where maybe you have some time that you're really like focused on, uh, okay, I need, I'm really going to like try to make some changes in my life and, uh, you make a commitment. Okay. I'm, I'm going to do this thing. And, uh, maybe you do it for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or, um, or whatever, but then you kind of like fall off of the bandwagon, you know, like you, you get a little bit further removed from the camp event or the, the conference or whatever you get like a little bit further away from that. And, um, you know, you get less passionate about it and you kind of just let it, let it fail. <clears throat> I think all of us probably have some kind of experience like that. Um, maybe it's not even in the spiritual realm. Maybe you just make a decision, you know, I'm going to start getting up early. I'm going to, you know, work out. I'm going to keep my room clean. I'm going to like, whatever, like you make a decision to do something. And then, uh, you know, when that kind of the excitement about that wears off, then, uh, you know, you kind of like, Oh, okay, maybe I'll do it every other day, or maybe I'll do it sometimes, or maybe, you know, and you kind of can make excuses and, and you kind of like let that fail. Um, the reason I bring that up is because what we're going to be looking at, um, here in Joshua chapter five, uh, up until this point, the nation of Israel had been, they made a decision, uh, so 40 years ago, when they went in and they spied out the land of, of Canaan, the promised land, uh, they made a decision as a, as a group not to go in because they were afraid of the giants, right? And they were afraid of what they were going to face when they got there. And so they made a decision not to go in and, and take the promised land. And so then God said, okay, fine. We're going to wander around for 40 years until all of you guys are dead. And then your kids are going to be the ones that get to make a decision about whether or not they're going to obey and go into the promised land. So they, they did do that. And, and for 40 years, they have been talking about it and planning it and, and uh, knowing that that was the next thing that they were going to do. So they go in, they, uh, they sent the spies to, into Jericho, remember, and Rahab hides them. And 
Uh, they come back and they're like, hey, man, these people are afraid of us. God's already like basically got this. We're, we definitely are going to go in and do this. So they make this decision to go in and take the promised land. Um, but it's not until they actually cross the Jordan River, until they're actually in the enemy territory, that they actually have to start doing something about the decision that they made, right? They made a decision, uh, you know, a while back that, hey, we're going to go in and we're going to take the promised land. But when the time comes to actually go take the promised land, the decision that they made is really irrelevant at that point, right? It's They have to actually take action. They have to do the thing that they said that they were going to do. And so um, in a spiritual sense, when we think about this, when we think about our enemy, right? When we think about the devil, when we think about um, how every time God makes a move, Satan is always looking to make a counter move, right? To, to counteract what God is doing. And that can be in a, in a small, like, micro level, like in your life specifically, when you make a decision that you're going to do something for the Lord. Maybe it's you're going to get baptized. Maybe you're going to uh, get discipled. Maybe you're going to start reading your Bible. Maybe you're going to make a commitment to pray. Maybe you're going to tell somebody about Jesus. Maybe you're going to start coming to church regularly. Maybe you're going to invite a friend to church. Maybe whatever. You're going to make a decision that you want to do something, um, God obviously wants wants us to do those things, right? God uh, desires that we do that. And so when God wants us to do that and we want to do that, then what does the enemy want us to do? He wants to distract us from that. He wants to, uh, you know, make it seem like, oh, well, no, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Or um, he wants to distract us with some other thing. Or he wants to somehow get knock us off track to keep us from doing the thing that we made the decision to do. And so the reason I had you guys go to 1 Peter, uh, somebody read 1 Peter 5.8. This should be a pretty familiar verse for you guys. <clears throat> okay, we have an adversary, right? That's the devil. Um, every time God makes a move, Satan is there trying to make a counter move, right? From the very beginning, God makes uh, Adam and Eve. He places them in his garden. He gives them a job. He tells them, you can do whatever you want. You can eat of anything in this entire garden except for this one tree. Don't eat of this one tree. Right? God makes his move. He tells the people, don't do this. And then what does Satan do? Satan shows up immediately and he makes a counter move. Hey, the reason God doesn't want you to do that is because he knows that if you do, you're going to be like him. And of course, he doesn't want that for you. uh, But you should want that. And of course, then they eat of the fruit. Right. And from then on, I mean, every single time God is moving, Satan is looking to counter move and to to uh, negate what God is doing um, in, in individual people's lives. But also then as a whole, like as a as a group, as a, you know, as as humans, Satan does not want to see us tell people about Jesus. He doesn't want to see people get saved. Right. Once somebody's saved, though, what can Satan do <clears throat> to can he do anything to make them lose their salvation? No, yes. No, yes. He cannot do anything to make you lose your salvation. Right? Once once somebody makes a decision to get saved and they get saved, there's nothing that Satan can do to to take that away. Right? That does not mean though that Satan is like, Okay, well that's a lost cause, I'm gonna move on to somebody else. Uh no, the then his focus now becomes how can I make this person as ineffective as possible? How can I keep them from telling others how can i keep them from growing how can i keep them from doing other things that god wants for them how can i keep them on the sidelines when it comes to spiritual things right i know i'll distract them right i'll give them uh you know all these these things you know i'll like 
interrupt everything that they're trying to do. Every time that they try to make a decision, I'm, I'll throw stuff at them, right? I'll, I'll give them, uh, you know, other things that are going to come into their life and, and distract them in one way or another to make them ineffective, right? Because if we, if they, if we make a decision to do something, <clears throat> Satan knows up until we actually do that thing, he can try to distract us and knock us off of, of what we've made a decision to do. And so when that verse says that um, he's as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, um, the people that he's most looking to devour are the people that are the biggest threat to what uh, he's trying to do, right? I mean, somebody who is on the sidelines and who uh, doesn't isn't doing anything for the Lord, isn't really interested in doing anything for the Lord, that person is is ineffective and, and Satan's not really like actively looking to try to do anything for, to, to that person because they're not actually a threat, right? They're not actually doing anything that is going to threaten what he is trying to do, which is to counteract everything God's doing. <clears throat> so, I mean, if we're not a threat to him, if, if we're not doing anything or, or actively like taking action to, to grow in our relationship with the Lord, to tell other people, um, then, then Satan's not really going to, he's not going to worry too much about that, right? He's seeking the people that he can devour that are going to be a threat. Somebody that's uh, on fire and excited about what God has done in their life and they want to tell other people about it and, and they have this, this desire to grow and to do these things. Uh, that's the threat that that uh, that Satan is going to go after. <clears throat> but making a decision to do something uh, is different than actually doing the thing, right? Like we we can make all all the decisions that we want to. We can we can decide or have these grand ideas of of what we might do, what we could do, what what would be a good idea to do, what we think God might want for us. Like we can we can think about those things and we can we can kind of um, you know mull those things over in our mind or make these decisions to do things, but uh, ultimately, it's not until we actually take action that we're a threat. <clears throat> Satan really doesn't care if you make a decision that you're going to start reading your Bible, right? He doesn't really care if you make a decision that you're going to get baptized or that you're going to get discipled. Those are not decisions necessarily that he really cares about. Are you guys okay back there? Huh? Okay. Uh He's not really all that interested or he doesn't really care if we make a decision to do something, right? But when we start taking steps and we start taking action on that decision, that's when he really is going to start getting interested. Uh, that's when we start to become a threat, right? Uh, we're going to have baptisms this morning. Uh, there's three people getting baptized. And up until today, like, okay, they've made decisions. We've known for a little while that these people want to get baptized. Uh, it's been on their calendar. Hey, I want to get baptized. In the month of February, I'm going to get baptized. Um, but until this morning, like when they actually show up and they, you know, change into the clothes and they like actually walk down into the tank and they start taking action towards the decision that they've made, they don't really become a threat, right? Um, but once they get once they get in that tank, once they start actually taking action, okay, now they're a threat. now they're going to stand in front of the whole church and we're all going to see them getting baptized, making a decision to basically tell others about what has happened in their life to tell other people, Hey, I got saved and, uh, now I'm getting baptized. I'm following the Lord in obedience. Um, I know usually with baptisms, people bring family members or friends, um, so that they can be like a part of what's happening, especially, uh, if you can bring like lost friends, uh, that's a really good place to bring them because they see, okay, there's something different about this person that why are they getting up in front of the whole entire church, 
which is you know kind of a scary thing to do. And they're they're willing to maybe they're going to say something, uh, maybe they're not going to say anything, but they're going to speak with their actions. Um, so like when when people I know like I think Liam uh, Foster is getting baptized. I think he's bringing some friends and some family members because he wants them to see, hey, there's something different about me. I know he's been like telling people about Jesus at school. Like he's been like actively. Um, engaged in sharing the gospel with people because it's something that's important in his life. And so he brought some of those friends from school and some of those family members um, to church this morning so that they can see him get baptized. So he can use this as an opportunity to share the gospel with people, right? Maybe not with his words, but with his actions. And so making the decision to get baptized is great, but ultimately uh, that doesn't really mean anything if you don't actually do it, right? My, my good intentions um, or your good intentions they don't really mean a whole lot if we don't do anything with them. And so that's not a threat to Satan. And God doesn't like give us brownie points because we make a decision that we want to do something for him. Right. God, I, you know, well, I mean, when we get to heaven. We're we going to stand there and say, well, I really wanted to share the gospel with my friend, but I just I just never did. Well, that doesn't really count for anything. You wanted to do it, but you didn't actually do it. Uh, OK, I mean, I guess it's a good thing that you wanted to do it. But ultimately, there's no impact that you didn't tell the person. Right. Um, and so wanting to do something for the Lord and actually doing something and like following through on that is, um, those are two different things. And so up until the point that we make a decision or up until the point we actually take action on our decisions, uh, God doesn't give us brownie points. He, I mean, he does care, but really, I mean, does it matter if you wanted to clean your room or does it matter if you actually cleaned your room? Does it matter if, well, I really wanted to obey my parents. Or does it matter if you actually did obey your parents? Your intentions don't really matter that much. Uh, what matters is what did you actually do? Did you actually do the thing that you said you were going to do? Did you actually do the thing uh, that you made a decision to do? And so that's kind of where Israel finds themselves. They, they have made this decision. They, they've, they've been planning and preparing for years to get into the promised land. And up until the time they actually get to the promised land, they're not really a threat, right? I mean, to, to Satan, to see God's people wandering around the wilderness, being totally ineffective, doing nothing, right? I mean, not that they weren't doing anything, but they were wandering in the middle of the wilderness um, for 40 years. Satan loved that, right? Great. You guys waste 40 years in the wilderness. Let's let a bunch of you guys die off. I don't really care. You guys are not doing anything to advance the kingdom of, of God. So, yeah, wander around in the wilderness, but once they take action, okay, now God's parted the, the Jordan River. Now they've walked across on dry land. Now they are actually entering the promised land. They're getting ready to start going to battle after battle after battle. They're going to start uh, taking these uh, other nations, these other people groups, right? And man, what if they, what if these people that they're going into this promised land start seeing all the things that God's doing? And what if these people turn to the Lord? Well, that's not going to be good for Satan, right? That's, that's exactly the opposite of what he's trying to go for. And so once they take action and they, they actually step feet into the promised land and they're actually ready to take on this battle, they're setting up these stones, they're, they're moving forward with, with what God has told them to do, uh, they're on mission, now they become a threat, okay? Now they become um, <clears throat> somebody that can actually do something for the Lord, right? Now they are actually taking action. And so um, that's where they find themselves in chapter five. So what that does, though, is now that puts them more in a place where 
now they're a target, right? Now, now Satan is actively looking to target them. Now, now Satan is, okay, now you become a threat to me because you're doing things that go against me. This is, you know, from Satan's perspective, they are actually now a threat. When they're wandering around in the wilderness, I mean, they're not really a threat to Satan, right? They're not doing anything for the Lord. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are <clears throat> learning to trust God. They are seeing God, you know, deliver food and, and all of that stuff. So there are some things that are going on, but they're really not taking any action um, on those things. But once they start taking action, now they become a threat. And now the enemy is going to be looking to counteract and move against what God is trying to do, which is to conquer the, the promised land, right? God is, God is bringing his people into their land to take the promised land. And so, um, so Satan's going to be looking to move against that. <clears throat> um, anytime that like at this church, especially, um, you know, we, we talk about God is a God of order. Have you guys ever heard pastor Brian say that God is a God of order? Does that sound familiar to any of you? He says it all the time. He'll probably say it today in this message. Um, I don't know if he will or not, but he says it very frequently. God is a God of order, right? Do things decently and in order. Um, and so when, when he says stuff like that, I mean, that can just become like kind of a mantra. Yeah, God's a God of order. What does that even mean? Well, God does have an order. God does have a structure, right? We get baptized after what? We get baptized after what? After salvation. Yeah, not before, right? That would be pointless. I mean, there's, there's nothing. All that happens when you get baptized is that you get wet. But you're telling other people, hey, this is something that happened in my life already. This has, baptism has nothing to do with salvation except that it comes after salvation, and so, um, God is God of order. You can't do things out of order, right? We're not going to send somebody out as a missionary who hasn't been saved, right? That would be totally, who, what's, the, what's even the point? How are they going to go tell people about Jesus if they haven't accepted Jesus as their own savior, right? Or maybe they have gotten saved. Maybe they've been baptized. Maybe they've gone through discipleship one. They know a little bit. They've got kind of a foundation. We're still not going to send that person out as a missionary or to plant a church, Right? Because they haven't gone through some of the testing and the trials and they haven't really learned their Bible. They've, they've learned some basic foundational things, but there's an order to those things. Right? If, if, if somebody desires to go out and plant a church or to become a missionary or something like that, we want to see this person go through Discipleship 1, Discipleship 2, go through uh, Bible Institute, right? get trained up and get, uh, not just so they can like, gather more knowledge, but uh, when you go through some of those things, uh, when you sit down and you do discipleship, for those of you guys who have, are in discipleship or who have been discipled already, when you sit down one-on-one with somebody else and you open up the Bible and you can ask them questions and they can ask you questions and they share things about their life and uh, you open up about things that are going on in your life, like when those things happen, you grow. Like you you start to realize that, oh, there's this is like real. Like these are real things. This person who's sharing their life with me they're telling me about how this particular verse or this passage or this lesson or this information really changed their life and it changed the way that they understood this thing or that thing, right? When you sit down in, in discipleship two and you go through a, like a classroom setting of, of really learning some deeper things about, uh, about the Bible, that, that changes your perspective on things. It gives you not just more knowledge, but it gives you uh, more things that you can apply and more ways that you can do that. Uh, when you go through the Bible Institute, um, they actually make you do, uh, you know, you have to write papers and you have to, um, outline the Bible and you have to, you know, write out books of the Bible and you have to, um, you know, like practice doing baptisms and practice doing funerals and weddings. And like, they make you go through these, all these like steps of things, 
Uh, not just for like the sake of doing that, but because God is a God of order and, and there's a certain order to things. And if you want to be uh, trusted with a lot, you have to be faithful with the little things, right? You have to actually do the little things and like and actually work those things out so that God can trust you with more. Um, <clears throat> if somebody, if, you, if like if you go through discipleship and you think, man, that was that changed my life going through discipleship. That was really uh, an awesome experience. I want to disciple somebody else. I want to be the person that sits down and gets to teach somebody else these things. Well, what does our church require? We, we don't just let anybody sit down and open the Bible and, and teach someone. I mean, we don't, we don't let anybody go through uh, and teach somebody discipleship. You have to go through, we have a class. It's called How to Disciple. You have to go through that class to get, uh, you know, trained on, okay, these are the goals of discipleship. These are, this is what we want to see you reproduce in somebody else. When you take somebody through discipleship, these are the kinds of things that we're looking for. This is what we want. Uh, it's not that they're like telling you this, these are the things you have to say, but this is kind of the outcome that we're looking for. These are the, these are the goals. Okay. And so, um, so we have a structure, we have an order of things and, um, it's not just because, uh, we want to put obstacles in people's way, but we, we want to prove people, right? God, God has to prove us, right? And so we want to prove people how, how, okay. How serious are you about actually taking someone through discipleship? Are you serious enough that you're going to come to this class for eight weeks in a row and, and learn about what it takes and, and why we do the things that we do? Or do you just kind of not really care that much? How, how serious are you about the decision that you made before we allow you to take action? Going back to the, the, what we talked about in the introduction is if you're serious about it, then we're going to get, we'll, we will give you the tools that you need to do the things that you want to do. Um, but we need to see that you can be faithful with the little things, show up to this class for eight weeks, pay attention, take notes, get ready. Um, and so then once you're done, now you can actually disciple somebody. Now you have proven, okay, I'm faithful with these little things. Now I can be trusted with imparting life into somebody else. Like I, I can be trusted with that because I've gone through these, 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 uh, other things. And so, um, anytime that we want to do something for the Lord, there's, there's kind of some, um, maybe some steps that are, that are need to be taken. Um, I mentioned discipleship already getting up in front of the whole church. How many of you guys have been baptized? Raise your hand. How many of you guys were nervous to get up there and do that? Okay. Like more than half of you, it can be nerve wracking. Okay. I mean, it can be, you're up in front of a hundred people, 150 people, 200 people, whatever. And you know, the, the person's going to ask you questions. Did any of you guys say anything Did you, other than just yes to the question about if you were to die today? Did anybody actually share anything about how they got saved, why they're getting baptized? You did? Yeah. So, was it scary? Yeah, because you're, you're having to like open up and, and tell people, hey, this is why I'm doing this, or uh, you know, this is what happened in my life, or I got saved on such and such day, or whatever the thing is that you're sharing. Um, that can be scary. Right. But that's just kind of that's a small step in faith. Like, OK, I'm going to trust God that uh, I, I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm being obedient and I, I know that he wants me to do this. And so I'm just going to step out in faith and I'm going to do the thing, even though it's scary. <clears throat> and so um, anyway, so let's get into Joshua chapter five. Now that we have about 10 minutes left. We're going to read the first 10 verses, and um, that's probably all we're going to have time for. We're going to read the verses, 
and uh, we'll probably focus more on them next week. Uh, okay, so Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side, were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. That's a similar phrase to what they came up with in uh, chapter 2. Uh, let's see. I should have written down the verse. Hold on. Yeah, uh, Joshua chapter 2, verse 10 says, "For this is Rahab talking to the spies, for we, have, uh, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. Okay, this verse in chapter 5 says that they heard how that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan. Okay, and then uh, in verse 10 of chapter 2 it says, uh, when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. That's just what it said in chapter 5, verse 1, that their, <clears throat> that their heart melted, neither was, this, was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Okay, so uh, now it's not just the people of Jericho. It's not just Rahab and her people. Uh, this is talking about the, the kings of the Amorites, um, and the kings of the Canaanites, so that more, you know, all the people in the land of Israel or in the Promised Land are—they've uh, heard about what God has done. Now they've—they've they've heard how He dried up the Jordan River. Now, and they're—they're uh, they're afraid. Okay, their hearts are melting. They—they are terrified of what is to come. Shh. All right, verse two. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, "Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time." And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is <clears throat> the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord swore that he would not uh, show them the land which the, which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord uh, said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. Okay, so this is kind of a little bit of a weird story, right? So they, they get into the promised land. Uh, the people that they're that are already in the promised land hear about okay Israel is coming uh, we're afraid um, and but God stops right I mean it seems like a weird timing to stop and do this circumcise all the men in the whole camp like again right they've got the enemies are like you know they're afraid they they have all kind of the momentum in their favor Israel does uh, they've just seen this miraculous thing where God stopped the waters of the Jordan River 
and allowed them to cross over on dry land. The people are excited, and God says, okay, hold on. Before we actually do anything else, uh, for the last 40 years, this whole time you guys have been wandering in the wilderness, uh, y'all have not been doing what you're supposed to be doing, circumcising the men, right? And so we're going to stop, and we're going to take time to do that. And so as I went through this, and as I thought about, like, why would God, why did God stop in the middle of this uh, story to tell us how all the men of Israel had to be circumcised? Like, why, why is that, like, the focus? They're getting ready to go to battle. Uh, the last thing they should be doing, it seems like, is, is stopping and doing this, right? They have all the momentum in their favor. Uh, but this is why I introduced it the way I did when, when I'm talking about taking action for the Lord versus making a decision to do something for the Lord and how those things are different. And up until this point, they had made a decision that they were going to go in and take the nation of Israel or take the promised land. But now that God sees, okay, these people are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. They are taking action on the decision that they've made. They're actually in the promised land. Now God says, okay, hold on. Now that you guys, now that I see that you're serious, now that you guys are actually doing the thing that, that I've been wanting you to do, I'm a God of order. God says, right? Uh, we're not going to do this thing out of order. Uh, now, they did not get saved in the Old Testament like we get saved, and so I don't want you to be confused about that. But God says, listen, you guys have not been obeying in the little thing, right? He set up this covenant with Abraham back in Genesis to say when when, it, when an Israelite child is born, uh, they need to be circumcised. This is a sign of the covenant that God made with the people of Israel, and it was important. It was, there was a reason that God had instituted that. And uh, it separated them from everybody else. And so when God made this covenant with Abraham, the expectation was this is going to be done for every Jewish child uh, forever, right? This is a picture of the covenant between God and his people Israel. And uh, so when they stopped, so when they were in Egypt, they were still doing it. They were doing how they were supposed to do. But once they started wandering in the wilderness, this... this uh, I don't know the word, this, this step, right? This process, this, uh, this practice of circumcision, they stopped doing that, right? And so for 40 years, they didn't do it at all. And God says, listen, we're going to stop right now before I trust you guys. And before I allow you guys to go forward and like accomplish the mission that I want you to do, I need to see that you guys can be faithful in reinstituting this practice that you guys haven't been doing for the last 40 years. And so, um, you know, the, the idea was that when the babies were eight days old, that that's when they were supposed to do it. Okay, well, now we're talking about full-grown men, right, that, they're having to, that haven't had this done. And so now they have to stop. Before they can, like, proceed and do what God wants them to do, they have to stop and, and take the time to do this. And uh, it's really just a good reminder for us. So we, the Bible talks about in, um, I think it's Colossians chapter 2, it talks about the, the circumcision made without hands. And uh, so in the New Testament, <clears throat> it's a, it, the, the reason that it was such an important thing in the Old Testament, uh, as with many things in the Old Testament, for us it's a picture of something different, right? So for them, it was, they, were, they were physically being circumcised. But for us, it's a, spiritual, it's a picture of something spiritual. Um, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us, and God performs this uh, this spiritual circumcision in our life to separate our, uh, to like seal our soul and separate it from our body. And so uh, when they stopped doing that, 
when they stopped, uh, you know, obeying what they were supposed to be doing for the Lord, um, that hinders their relationship, right? When, when we stop doing something that we know we're supposed to do for the Lord, when we stop reading our Bible, when we stop praying and communicating with God, and we, we don't read our Bible as a way to, for him to communicate back to us, that's going to hinder our relationship, right? It's like any relationship that you have. If you don't talk to somebody for a long period of time, uh, it's hard to have a close relationship with them. Now, I know like you have friends like when, from maybe when you were a kid or maybe a cousin that you only see every, you know, once every couple of years or something. And you can kind of re- regain that relationship quickly when you see him. Hey, it's been so long since I've seen you, but you kind of go back into the, you know, you, you fall back onto, uh, you know, how it was the last time you saw them. And you can kind of pick up that relationship where you left off. But, um, but there's something to be said for like not having talked to that person for the last couple of years. You don't know what's been going on in their life, right? They, they don't know what's been going on in your life. The relationship changes a little bit when you don't talk to somebody. Um, and so that, that's true of any relationship, especially the relationship that we have with God. When we don't uh, spend time talking to him in prayer and we don't read the Bible and allow him to talk back to us, that's going to hinder our relationship, right? When the children of Israel spent 40 years not doing one of the key things that they were supposed to be doing, that's going to hinder their relationship with God. God's not going to be able to have the same relationship with them as he would if they were being obedient. And now we look back at it and think, well, who really cares if these guys are circumcised or not? Like, what what does that matter in their relationship with God? That doesn't seem like a huge, important thing. Um, But with anything, if we're not obedient to what God wants us to do, if we're not obedient and faithful with the little things, then God's not going to be able to trust us with more things, which is the whole point of what we've been talking about uh, this whole morning is just be faithful with the little things and God will give you more, right? God will trust you with more because you've proven yourself with the little things, okay? They were not being faithful with kind of seemingly a little thing. Like they're not being faithful with something that they were supposed to have been doing. And now God says, okay, I want to really test you guys and see, uh, are you guys going to be willing to do this now in the enemy territory when, uh, you know, it's really super inconvenient. But if you'd been doing it the whole time, the last 40 years that you were supposed to have been doing it, we wouldn't have to stop and do this now. But now that I see that you're serious about actually taking action, I'm going to test you real fast and see how serious you are. Can you be faithful with doing this thing and just trust that I'm going to protect you during this time of healing, right? Can I trust you with this? Um, and they, to their credit, to Israel's credit, yeah, they got, God could trust them. They actually did do what they were supposed to do. And God protected them until they were like healed up and ready to go. And then uh, here in the next few verses, uh, at the beginning of chapter 6, they're actually going to go in and start fighting. And so, uh, you know, they were faithful with the, the little thing. They were faithful with what God told them. And God said, okay, now we can move forward. I'm a God of order, and, and you guys were doing things way out of order. You were trying to go in and accomplish this big task without doing the little things first, and you weren't doing things in the right order. Um, that, that spiritual circumcision I was talking about, that is salvation. And so we cannot have a relationship with God until we're saved, right? We have to do those things in order. That'd be like us trying to go out, like I was saying, and, and go plant a church, never having accepted Christ as our Savior, or never having been baptized, right? That's going to be a very difficult thing. God's not going to uh, bless that because we're not doing things in the order that they're supposed to be done in. And so when Israel goes in and they're trying to accomplish this this uh, massive task of, of taking over the promised land without having done the little thing, God's, God you know, forces them to pause and, and to stop and take care of this thing first before he's going to allow them to move on. And so, um, so we'll stop there for today.
We'll pick up the rest of chapter 5 next week. Um, and then we'll finally, in chapter 6, the week after that, we'll finally get into some battles and some uh, actual action that they're going to be taking. So let's uh, pray and then we will be done. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for uh, this morning, God. I thank you for uh, just, God, this, this passage. And God, it, it seems a little bit weird to, to read and to, to understand, God, why you do things the way you do them. But uh, when we step back and we look at, God, just the, the fact that you're a God of order and the, the importance that you place on doing things decently and in order, God, I just I thank you for allowing us to be part of a church that understands that, God, and that, that follows that biblical uh, method and and uh, God, that that uh, that we want to be faithful with the little things, so that so that you can trust us with more things. And um, God, I know um, that all of us have have had times in our life where we've made a decision to do something, and and um, God, we we maybe haven't followed through like we thought we would. The excitement fades away, and God it gets into actual doing of the thing, and and uh, maybe it's not as glamorous or as exciting as we thought it would be. It's it's more difficult. It requires discipline. All those things. And uh, God, all of us have have done that, and all of us have, have fallen short in that area. But uh, God, I pray that you would just help us to to look at this example of Israel, and God, we know that they uh, fell short in a lot of ways, and uh, that's what caused them to wander for forty years. But uh, ultimately, God, they they made a decision, and uh, that they were gonna that they were gonna obey, and that they were gonna follow you. And God, they actually followed through on that. And so I pray that uh, we would just be look, able to look at this example of Israel, and and God, that we would um, recognize that. It's the same kind of thing in our life, and God, that we would actually take take the these things to heart, and that we would learn uh, from their example, and that we would um, God just not make the same mistakes, and that we would when we make a decision to do something, God, that we would actually take action and follow through on that. And uh, God, I just thank you for uh, everything you do for us. I thank you for these baptisms that are getting ready to take place, for the the visitors and the guests that are going to be here, God, uh, perhaps for the first time, uh, they're going to be seeing people getting baptized. They're going to see. Uh, these these uh, examples being lived out of people who have had their lives changed by accepting you as their savior and uh, God, I just pray that uh, that they would be ready to to see that God and that it would just be a, a good opportunity a good open door uh, to be able to to share you with them and um, God, I just pray for those that are getting baptized that you would just give them the the uh, calmness and help them not to be nervous God and uh, just help them to know that what they're doing is is uh, just being an example and a light. Uh, to all of us. And so I just I thank you and praise you for that. I ask your blessing on the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.